You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Liam McDermott, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we're going to hear from News Director George Christopher to learn more about the Fifth Ward's new representative on the Ithaca Common Council, Chris Haynes Sharp. Josh Pantano will tell us about an appearance by YA author Anurada Rajukar at Ithaca College as part of the Spring 2023 Distinguished Visitors Writer Series. But first, let's hear from Sarah Payne and Josh Pantano with this week's Community Beat and Jordan Broking with this week's Politics Beat. Workers at Tompkins Consolidated Area Transit, more commonly known to Ithaca Public Transportation users as TCAT, have voted to ratify a new contract between the transit company and their union. This contract comes nearly eight months after their last one expired. Members of the union voted on January 30th and 31st. Although some had mixed feelings about whether or not the contract would bring changes needed to the workplace, the new contract was ratified. One of the main benefits of the contract will be the introduction of raises. Borg Warner's plant that is on Warren Road is closing. The plant that was located on the border of Ithaca and close to the town of Lansing acted as a considerable job provider to residents of Tompkins County. Borg Warner supplied around 1,500 jobs, counting the second plant that focuses on chain production and will remain open for the time being. Mike Sigler, Tompkins County legislator, estimates that 280 people could lose their jobs with the closure. Heather McDaniel, Ithaca Area Economic Development President, stated that, quote, as much as a quarter of the employee base over the next two years, end quote, could be affected by the closing. According to Borgborner's public relations specialist, Alexis Grimshaw, Borgborner is, quote, committed to ensuring the smoothest transition possible in relation to employees affected, and Grimshaw noted that the company has already started informing employees of the closing. The closing is set to occur at the end of 2024. The plant that is closing's main purpose was valve train production, and the operation will be transferred to an already existing one in Mexico. The company has had a challenging time competing with lower production costs of other countries that manufacture valve trains. Furthermore, the necessity of valve trains will decrease as electric vehicles become more common in the automotive industry. Although the plant is closing, there are, quote, plans to continue to invest in manufacturing in New York, according to Grimshaw. Due to COVID-19-related financial difficulties, the State Theater of Ithaca has struggled to maintain business. However, the theater recently joined 12 other, quote, historic performing arts centers with the hope of securing money from New York State. According to a press release from the group, known as Alive Downtowns, they are asking this state for a, quote, ongoing $20 million in operating support. As of now, New York State has not commented on the matter. On Saturday afternoon, Cornell University and certain sections of College Town had a power outage. The outage started on Cornell's campus at 2.15 in the afternoon, and at 3.36 p.m., Cornell University sent out an alert about the power outage. In sections of Central and West Campus, the power was working again within half an hour period, while certain parts of West Campus reportedly had power stored at 3.40 p.m., according to some students. North Campus saw the reemergence of power at 3.10 p.m., and a large sum of students in university housing were told to limit the usage of power in relation to the buildings that have backup generators and to avoid elevators and emails from the residence halls. The power outage on campus officially was concluded for the entirety of campus at 4 p.m. as noted by University Campus Alert website's 4 p.m. update that mentioned that all power is back up again. The outage in College Town only lasted a handful of seconds. For fans of Autumn Leaves and Angry Mom Records in the Commons, the two businesses are seeing some changes. Autumn Leaves, Ithaca's premier used bookstore, is now under ownership of PM Press, an independent book publisher that deals primarily in radical literature. Angry Mom Records, previously located in the basement of Autumn Leaves, is moving to the second floor of the building. PM Press founder Ramsey Kanan said he intends to improve what the store already does well, not change its contents entirely. 
For WICB News, I'm Joshua Pantano. This is your weekly politics beat. I'm Jordan Broking. Relations between workers in Ithaca and the city of Ithaca was a major point of interest in this week's Common Council meeting. More than 100 people gathered at Ithaca City Hall, with employees and local leaders calling for more to be done to help the local workforce. Back in November, city unions expressed issues with recruiting workers due to low wages. At this week's meeting, local leaders believe nothing has been done since. The Common Council asks for patience while acknowledging the process as glacially slow. This year's Ithaca J. Diane Sam's African American History Month Recognition Award went to Alan Fay Nunn. The award recognizes those who have invaluable contributions to the community. Nunn founded the Community United Music Education Program at Southside Community Center and served as a teacher in the Ithaca City School District for 30 years. During the Common Council meeting, where he received the honor, Nunn said he was honored to be associated with SAMS and asked those listening to put every effort into ending violence against black males. This came after the council held a moment of silence for Tyree Nichols, who was killed by police last month in Memphis. And to close off a busy common council meeting, the council unanimously voted to elect Chris Haynes Sharp to the role as a fifth ward's alder person. Some of her primary issues she wants to address includes fiscal limitations and finding a police and fire chief. Several people applied for the role, with alderperson Rob Gearhart thanking those in the community for their interest. Haynes Sharp is an educator and will hold the role until the end of this year, as the fifth ward seat is up for grabs in the November general election. Governor Kathy Hochul presented her state budget to the state legislature this past Wednesday. The $227 billion budget includes more than $34 billion going towards public schools, fully funding the legal amount the state is required to send to school districts for the first time. Additionally, the governor proposed more public funding for hospitals and nursing homes and $200 million to offer electricity bill discounts to 800,000 residents who make below the statewide income. The legislature will have hearings on the budget, make their own proposals, and adopt a finalized budget plan in April. Ithaca will receive over $25,000 in a recent opioid settlement. The deal comes from Teva Pharmaceuticals, who agreed to pay $4.2 billion nationwide and $525 million in New York for their role in the opioid crisis. The Israeli pharmaceutical company will pay out this settlement with several installments starting this year and ending in 2040. For WICB News, I'm Jordan Broking. You're listening to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Leah McDermott. Last November, when Laura Lewis was elected mayor of Ithaca, she vacated her seat on the Common Council for the Fifth Ward. On Wednesday, the Common Council appointed Lewis's successor, Chris Haynes Sharp, a writer and former assistant principal at the New Root School. News director George Christopher sat down with Haynes Sharp to learn more about them and their goals for the city. On Wednesday, the Ithaca Common Council appointed Chris Haynes Sharp to the fifth ward seat vacated by Mayor Laura Lewis. Haynes Sharp beat out seven other candidates who were interviewed by the vacancy committee, made up of Mayor Lewis and Alderpersons Bob Gearhart and Robert Cantelmo. Well, I'm honored and appreciative for, of appreciative for the opportunity to um, serve Ithaca workers and Ithaca residents. In her interview with the Vacancy Committee, which is available on the city's YouTube channel, 
Haynes Sharp talked about the role of an elder person as representing the needs and concerns of their ward's residents. But Haynes Sharp says as a new member, she still has a lot to learn. Well, to be quite honest, I feel like my job at this point is to learn as much as I can and open up lines of communication. And between myself and the constituents of Ward 5 and other city workers and city residents. So there are issues that come up, you know, on a daily basis around services and um, decisions that impact residents, whether it's cell phone towers, um, like I said, services that residents are needing potholes on our streets being fixed. But I think the main, my, my main role at this point is to listen to what Ward 5 constituents want, need to share with me so that I can better represent them. At Wednesday's meeting, Haynes Sharp swearing in was immediately followed by comments from members of the city's public sector unions. For weeks, union leaders have expressed frustration with city negotiation tactics for worker contracts. Haynes Sharp says that communication is key in these types of disputes. Well, I don't know exactly what has happened up until this point. So my perspective is as a new council person and i think that there needs to be uh, city workers need to be heard issues need to be addressed it sounds like there needs to be really um, communication that works um, both ways in the labor negotiations but at that very meeting, workers also said that they have communicated their concerns, and the real issue is the council not listening. For my, speaking for myself, I, I want to reach out to city departments and be available to get up to speed, because I am not at this point as a new council person. And I, I do think that a council liaison in the in the process will be helpful and um obviously there needs to be more than listening right there needs to be action and that is my um that is what i'm hoping to learn about what um what i can do to support action that will make a difference to the lives and work conditions for city workers. As mentioned before, Haynes Sharp got the job through a vacancy committee which interviewed eight candidates, all of whom applied for the Fifth Ward seat. According to the Ithaca Voice, Fifth Ward Alderperson and mayoral candidate Robert Cantelmo is looking to eliminate vacancy committees and instead have special elections called immediately to fill vacant seats. Last year, another vacancy on the council was filled by Patrick Mailer for the remainder of 2022 when Mailer was succeeded by Tiffany Kumar, who won a November special election. 
This change would have to pass through the Common Council. Uh, do you support that change? Yes, I do. I mean, I went through the process that was in place because I wanted to serve on council, but I'm absolutely in favor of this change if that happens. The Voice has also reported that the city is officially reopening its search for a police chief. Previously, Mayor Laura Lewis nominated John Jolie for the job, but withdrew that nomination after it faced pushback from the Common Council. We asked Haynes Sharp what they would look for in a police chief. I would look for a chief that has the support of the department and the support of the residents of Ithaca. And I think that the police chief is key to determining um, culture in the police department. And I can't speak to the candidates that have been um, interviewed up until this point in the process because I was not involved in it. But I, I do think that we need, we need a police chief that has the support of the police department and um, is clear in supporting diversity and inclusion and the well-being of all residents. Haynes Sharp was previously an assistant principal at the Ithaca New Root School. We asked them about how this position may inform their work on the Common Council. Anyone who's worked in schools knows what it's like to be among a group of people with vastly different and sometimes conflicting needs and viewpoints. And as an educational leader, I sought to listen and do my very best to support those individual needs. So I think um, you bring skills in communication, in being an effective leader, in, uh, and you know, anyone who's taught knows that you have to really learn your stuff before you can teach anything. So I think that that willingness to be a learner is something that I will bring to my role on Common Council. An issue that came up again and again in candidate interviews was housing in Ithaca. The subject has been omnipresent for years with extremely low vacancy rates. Data from Tompkins County says that just 1% of rented units are vacant in the city. There's a dearth of affordable housing here. And the vast majority, I would say the majority of city residents pay rent every month, and they are astronomically high rents. And we need to have a city that supports people from all income levels. I think, you know, some of the new building projects that are happening where there's mixed um, use in the the apartments I, I, and the buildings, I think that will help. 
I think services, well, I'll just leave it at that. I think we need, we need to think as Ithaca grows, we need to think about ways to retain and support those in our community who do not make as much as some of the, the higher earners in our community. We need a city with a wide range of people and different opinions. And um, so we need housing. You mentioned that a lot of people in the city are renters. And one of the proposals uh, that's been brought up has been a right to renew, uh, lease renewal, guaranteeing tenants the right to renew their leases. Uh, have you thought about that proposal and what do you think about it? I have to say that that is an issue. I may have a gut response to that, but that's an issue that I need to educate myself on more before I speak to that. This November, the entire Common Council will be up for re-election. Each ward will elect two aldepersons, one for a shortened two-year term and another for a standard four-year term. Though non-committal, Haynes Sharp does seem very interested in re-election. At this point, um, I certainly would hope so. And I know the wards, you know, the ward boundaries are going to be changing. And so how that all rolls out in terms of where I would be um, seeking election, that we'll have to see how that all works out. But yes, at this point, if, um, if I'm serving residents and workers well, I will definitely, I will definitely seek re-election. Haynes Sharp concludes our talk with solicitation to their constituents for what issues they are concerned about. Well, I don't know if it's already been said, but I've lived in Ithaca for 24 years. Um, all within two blocks of where I currently live. And I love this town. And I want to make this, you know, to do my part in, in supporting a thriving city. I also want people to know that they can reach out to me. I have a city email, and I invite that. I'm in the neighborhood outside a lot, and I invite people to, um, you know, let me know what they, what they, what concerns they have. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. On Wednesday, the Ithaca College Department of Writing and School of Humanities and Sciences held its, the first of three speaking events in the Spring 2023 Distinguished Visiting Writers series with author Andra Rajarkar. WICB News correspondent Josh Pantano has more. This past week, YA author Anurada Rajukar made a virtual visit to Ithaca College as part of the Writing Department's Distinguished Visiting Writer Series, headed by Assistant Professor Rajpreet Ayer. Each semester, students of the Distinguished Visiting Writer Series host reading and question and answer sessions featuring poetry, fiction, and memoir authors. This past week's featured author, Anurada Rajukar, is the author of American Betia, an ALAYALSA Best Book of 2022. It was also featured on Cosmopolitan's list of 125 Best YA Books of All Time. The novel centers around high schooler Ronnie, the daughter of two Indian immigrants. As Ronnie begins to pursue a romantic relationship with Oliver, a white art student, she struggles to balance her family's expectations and her budding adulthood. Rajukar said this work was deeply personal. I think it was one of those stories um, 
that I felt like was really, it was happening to people out there. Like I did a lot of research for the story. You know, some of this was everything that I write. I feel like some of it is personal experience. Some of it is stuff that I observe in the world. And some of it is just questions that I have that like keep sort of like nagging me, you know? And, yeah. and this was one of those stories where I was like, huh, can sort of discrimination, prejudice enter into our closest relationships? Mm -hmm. Like, is it always a bully at school? Like, or is, you know, is it always a stranger on the street? Born and raised in the Chicago area to two Indian immigrants, American Betia is a deeply personal work to Raju Kar. After high school, she earned two degrees from Northwestern University, and while writing American Betia, she worked as a public school teacher. At the start of the visit, after an introduction by student Jaden Collier, Raju Kar read the first two chapters of American Betia. Um, I am really honored to read a little bit of my book to you today, and I'm going to start with chapter one. He's my mother's worst nightmare. His intricate tattoos and the way he's been covertly studying me from across the gallery would give her palpitations for sure. Dude does need some manners, I think, as he stashes away several damaged portfolio sleeves before glancing over again. Avoiding his gaze, I turn to arrange my, arrange my glossy art, artist statement cards. Seriously, who is this guy? I take a long swig from my water bottle and attempt to refocus. It's my first ever gallery night opening, and I'm still in shock that I was invited. My photographs, the ones I took with my grandfather in India last summer, pop against the burgundy walls. But Ronnie soon meets Oliver, the boy with whom she will pursue a romantic relationship. From the get-go, she is apprehensive about talking to him because of her parents' traditional expectations. It's him, leaning against my wall like freaking James Dean. He tugs on his silver-studded earlobe and gazes at me with that weird but weirdly flattering intensity. I've totally seen him before. That's a generous way of putting it, I say, and immediately feel guilty. Why am I slamming my family and friends to this random stalker guy? He grins, raising a silver-hooped brow, and holds out his hand. Oliver Jensen. Ronnie, I say, grasping it. It's dawning on me who he is. His hand is big and warm. Not that I notice. Ronnie, he says, trying it out. Dang, great name. Slipping a hand into the frayed pocket of his jeans, he returns to his James Dean lean against the wall. A faint blush rises in his face, undercutting his veneer of cool. After her reading, the students of the Distinguished Visiting Writers Workshop began a Q&A about Rajukar's work, her experiences, and the publication process. In American Betia, Ronnie is an amateur photographer. The book covers many themes of artistic expression, including how art can be a reflection of culture or life experience. Although Rajukar said she is not a photographer herself, she expressed the importance of the theme around art in the novel. I love art. I love photography. I've, to be honest, I'm not, it's not like I've done any photography. Um, it's always fun to select something for your characters that you don't even necessarily do because it kind of forces you to learn a lot about it. Um, I, I sort of have an appreciation for art and I've always sort of loved drawing and painting um, and, you know, wanted to sort of delve deeper into that and, and that idea of, um, you know, I don't know. It's like most of my friends are artists and I have a lot of them are, some of them are doctors and artists, like they do both. And I was really interested in, that dichotomy and like I feel like a lot of 
books, it's like you choose either or you're either STEM or you're into art, you know, and I sort of feel like in my adult life, I see that there's such an interconnectivity between those two things, those two like sort of, um, you know, studies. And so I, I liked the idea of exploring that. And, and especially I think in immigrant communities. Other than art, Rajakar said some other major themes in American Betia are centered around race and relationships. For example, in the book, Ronnie experiences racial microaggressions from people around her, even Oliver. Rajakar said, although we might have close relationships with people, it's still possible for them to hurt us, especially through racism. A lot of times in our closest relationships, like you can't see what's what you're so close to. You know, it's very easy to kind of... Um, give people the benefit of the doubt, there's a red flag and you're like, oh, but this person loves me or this person is my best friend. It doesn't even necessarily have to be, you know, in a romantic relationship, sometimes even in our closest friendships, this person that you love and are so connected with can say something that feels wrong and, you know, and it's fine to give the benefit of the doubt, you know, but when, when there's a pattern, like, when do you start to see that pattern? When do you like allow yourself to see the pattern? Um, you know, speaking out when you're like kind of feeling targeted, you know, as like the target of racism. In addition, Roger Carr talked about the struggles of racism, discrimination, and racial fetishization that the characters in the novel experience. Roger Carr said Ronnie experiences some disconnection with her culture, especially as it clashes with American culture. You know, Ronnie deals a lot with like cultural, um, identity stuff like she's not totally sure how she feel like in the beginning what i just read she's sort of embarrassed about the fact that like these auntie uncles are like so over the top and like taking up a lot of room and you know bringing a lot of attention to her she's sort of wanting to like blend in to this new scene um but over time like you're allowed to sort of change your mind about what feels healthy and how you feel about your culture and you don't need to be listening to what other people say about your culture. You know, like it's it's okay to be conflicted about that. Um, and just like knowing that sort of cultural racism, cultural fetishization, fetishization um, is larger and deeper and like older than us. And that's okay. Like this country, I mean, it's not okay, but you know, it's, it's the truth. Like this country was founded in racism and cultural fetishization of women, of Asian women and just women of color in general, it connects back to like imperialism and colonization and oppression and, you know, violence against women of color. Outside of the themes of American Betia, Rajikar answered several questions about the production of the book, particularly with how she shaped it and got it published. She said the novel was originally envisioned as a short story, but that she later expanded it into a full work. It was the writing group that when they read it, they were like, "This, there's a lot in here that you can flesh out into a novel, and we think that this should be a novel. And, and it was one of those things, like I was in maybe high school when I decided... And so to hear somebody say like, yes, this should be fleshed out into a novel was like truly what I needed to, you know, I wanted to hear it. I needed to hear it, but I don't know that I would have had the, um, I don't know, I guess the belief in myself to like push through and flesh it out on my own into a novel. So that's where I feel like those other readers that you connect with having a writer community is like really you know, can change your life. Like in a way, like they can, they believed in it before I did, you know, they believed in the story and like in my ability to do it and with their sort of their guidance. So that's how it happened. 
One of the biggest struggles that young writers face is the business side of writing. Although they might have the capacity to write a great novel or story, it can be difficult for many writers to seek publication, regardless of the changes in technology or the ease of access with emails and social media. However, Rajakar said there are steps that anybody can take to seek publication, including writing a solid covered letter and following the steps of authors that aspiring writers admire. So I definitely feel like you need to be getting out there, you know, and I would say one of my biggest things that helped me was getting on MSWL, which stands for Manuscript Wishlist. Some of you probably already know this, um, but it's a hashtag um, on Twitter. I believe it's still on Twitter. I know there's a lot of weird stuff going on, on Twitter, but um, so that's a place where agents and editors write down the kinds of stories that they're looking for. So you go on hashtag MSWL, and um, there'll be tons of different agents just writing down their, you know, so it's like when you're pitching your story to agents, you want to make sure that you're pitching to agents that are looking for your kind of story. Because a lot of people sort of, you know, you don't want to waste people's time. You want to try to make that perfect match. And so it's about sort of creating your own, compiling your own list of agents who are looking for the kinds of work that you're doing. Raji Carr said she's currently working on her next novel, Temporary Bodies, a gothic thriller which centers around a teen girl looking for a fresh start in India after the death of her sister. However, she soon discovers that the hospital that her parents are renovating into a hotel might have a dark history, haunted by spirits and the history of colonialism. The novel is set to be published in summer 2024. Oh my gosh, so Temporary Bodies is a really different kind of book. It's, um, it's so my mother was, um, and I kind of talked about this in the craft class, I won't go too deep into it, but she lived in sort of this mansion. Um, her father was in the army. They were stationed in Aurangabad, India for a summer. And it, she was in this home like that was, it used to be a birthing hospital. <laughs> and she was like, that, that place was haunted. Like they would hear babies crying at night. It was a very remote area. And so I was told this when I was like a teenager and I it completely captivated. I was like, what? You know, like, okay, tell me everything. And so they would tell me these stories of that summer and it just kind of never let go. Like I was like, oh gosh, there's, I've got to do something with this. And so I, I kind of wrote a pitch and I sent it to my agent and he was like, um, yes, this is like so interesting. And so really what I was interested in is the idea of colonialism and its impact on us like today, you know, like modern day. For WICB News, I'm Joshua Pantano. That's all for tonight's edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear the show anywhere, anytime. Also, subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. Just search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from manager of television and radio operations, Jeremy Menard, WICB station manager, Connor Hibbard, and programming director, Harrison Kona. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by news director, George Christopher. All the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing us at news at wicb.org. 
We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.